Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Lawrence Bellin with John L. Scott Real Estate in Portland, Oregon. Last year, he closed 81 transactions with a total sales volume of $28 million. His average sales price was $354,000, of which 15% were buyers and 85% were sellers. He has a 10-member team, one buyer agent, one listing manager, three listing coordinators, one client care manager, one negotiator, one marketing manager, one transaction coordinator, and one team leader. Lawrence Belland is the team leader of the Belland Realty Group. He's been an agent for 38 years and participated in over 6,000 real estate transactions worth over $750 million. In this call, Lawrence talks about starting his career creatively with minor partitions and helping sellers split vacant lots off oversized properties to create two pieces of real estate to sell putting his real estate sales career on hold, why he pursued the mortgage business and investment transactions for 10 years, jumping back into real estate sales by working short sales in the early 1990s, how he developed his concept of the listing launch where he builds up anticipation in the market with delayed showing dates and restricted offer dates, his 10-day pre-launch marketing program that's resulting in dozens of showings and multiple offers the first day on the market, including the best day and time for the launch. Why he invests his own money to fix up sellers' properties for quick sales at higher nets for the seller and himself. His seller strategy for dealing with multiple offers. The annual marketing plan he uses with his past clients and sphere of influence to generate repeated referrals that account for 40% of his business, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com that's free, referralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Lawrence. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Lawrence, it's great to have you here. Lawrence, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, before I got into real estate, I was a student at the University of Oregon. So this was actually my, uh, my, my first career has been in, in the real estate industry. It hasn't always been in real estate sales, but it's, it's been real estate related. And then, you know, during college, I just had summer jobs like, you know, working at American Ship Dismantlers and just, just different things like any other college student trying to, trying to make a buck for tuition. Did you get a degree in real estate? No, actually, my degree is in uh, international relations with an emphasis in the Middle East. Wow. Yeah, it's a mouthful. And... You know, I, I did have a job in that industry waiting for me, but uh, matter of fact, at the World Trade Center in New York. But it just, you know, it just the money just wasn't there. And I, I met a guy 
Uh, I didn't use a friend of mine, actually. That I, I ran into Mike. Uh, he was a year ahead of me at the university, and he graduated, and he went into real estate up in Portland, and I was at a party, and I saw Mike drive up in this 450 SL, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? You know, that was a big deal. You know, <laughs> not a lot of Mercedes in Portland, Oregon that, at that time. Yeah, Mike was a really uh, genuine guy and real gregacious, and he had a Nordstrom's background and lady shoes, and he kind of applied that to real estate, and he told me I should consider it, and, and of course I did because I respected this guy, and uh, just never looked back. Sounds like you got into it right after college. That first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a medium start. I, you know, I really busted my ass uh, the first few months, and like anybody, you know, not much was was coming out of it. And then it just started to to take hold. Uh, one of the things that I focused on, which a lot of people didn't, there was some work involved. Is I focused on uh, on doing minor partitions. So I'd go up to someone's home, you know, after I evaluated the property through the title company and, and got a plat map, I would go up to them and suggest to them that they, there's more value in their property than they think because we can split it off to a minor partition or make another building lot. And so uh, I got a lot of people to buy into that idea, and, and it, it kept me pretty busy. That's pretty sophisticated right there at the beginning. So you found properties with large pieces of land. And then you would split off a portion of the land from the house itself, and then you'd have two properties to sell. Yeah, these were a large piece of land. This was all inner city. This was infill. And so I would just go, and it looked to me like that property's on a double lot, and so I would go figure out whether it was or not. And there were some ways that we could manipulate the lots, depending on the size, to make sure we got the right square footage. But it was a lot of fun. My, my nickname back then was Chopper, because I was chopping up all these properties. How many of those transactions do you think you did in your first year? Oh, I think, uh, you know, the, the first six months, I didn't do anything. And then I think I ended up the year with with maybe a half a dozen transactions. And then it just built up from there. I was the rookie of the year, uh, really, really six months out of the year. But, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I, I probably made all the mistakes that the people going into the business now make, you know. I got suckered into buying a lot of crazy stuff. I used to buy I had these, these pickle pickers. You know, in the Pickle Barrel Realtor, pick the best and have my name and all my, my marketing on it. And, and I would hand those out. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Um, <laughs> although they were pretty good. I, I will say that they had a little bit of shelf life. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, let's do this. Let's fast forward to today. So first of all, where is Portland, Oregon? Portland, Oregon is, is uh, Oregon's largest city. It's located at the uh, upper northern tip at the end of the mouth of the Willamette, where the Willamette goes into the Columbia River. It's just south of Vancouver, Washington. The Portland metropolitan area includes Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington, and Clark County, Washington. So there's Washington County in Oregon, then there's Clark County, Washington. They're all part of the same Portland metro district. Yeah, I think there's about 700,000 people in Portland proper, and maybe... uh, a million and a half in the whole in the whole area. The, the the vast majority of the population of the state of Oregon is in the Portland metro area. Are you working that entire 1.5 million metro area, or are you niched into a, a specific geographic area? I sell properties through the whole Portland metro area and through the entire Greater Puget Sound area uh, up in Seattle, and then South Orange County, California. So in in the Seattle area, it's Kitsap, Snohomish, Pierce, and King Counties. 
but as far as the retail transactions and what, you know, I'll go, I, I go wherever the, I'm a hired gun. So, I mean, I don't stick to my neighborhood or to my city or a zip code. I've got, I, I've got listings in, in, in Hillsborough and Forest Grove and, and Happy Valley and Sandy, Oregon and up on the mountain. So I work for whoever wants to pay my fee. Please describe your current real estate market. Well, the price it has been going up. I think Oregon, Portland, as a matter of fact, I think was was the, had the number one price appreciation, or was in, it was in the top five anyway. It was pretty significant, about 12 percent last year, which which really surprised me. But uh, when you've got more people moving to the state than you have leaving the state, it's going to put a lot of pressure, upward pressure on on housing. Uh, housing is quite a shortage here. Our average, it just depends, you know, uh, it's usually around, right around 350 and that's been going up as well. The Happy Valley properties that we sell, that's about 450 uh, on average. But through the rest of the area, it's about 350 But I've, I've had them much less, and I've had them for a lot more. How long have you been in the real estate business now? Yeah, I almost hate to say it, but it's been 38 years. What year was it when you started? 78. How many homes did you sell last year? 81. Do you recall the sales volume? Oh, it's about 28 million, a little over. Do you recall how many homes you've sold in your career and the approximate sales volume? I've been involved in over 6,000 real estate transactions. And so, and I want to be very specific about transactions because people automatically equate that into, into sales. But um, in my real estate career, I was in lending. I owned a mortgage company for nine years in the late 80s and the, uh, in the early 90s. And, and I was involved, uh, I mean, I was always, I always had a lot of transactional uh, experience personally. And, and that 6,000 includes all of those properties. And they were all purchase money deals. I didn't, I didn't do much in the way of refinancing. I've always, I always believe that purchase money is lasting money. And that's the same thing with listings. Um, so I've, I'm a listing agent, but um, yeah, I've been over six thousand transactions, and I and I would say conservatively, it's it's been you know over seven hundred fifty million. It might even be closer to a billion dollars in in real estate. You said you owned a mortgage company in the '80s. You got in in '78. You were selling real estate. So give us give us kind of that timeline. You were selling real estate for a few years, then you you went into the mortgage side of the business for maybe what a decade or so, and then you got back into real estate. Is is that correct? Yeah, well, this is the deal. I mean, I was I was uh, just an Oregon boy. I mean, I uh, I really never left the state except for one uh, spring trip to Mazatlan uh, from college. But you know, I was 25 years old, and I was you know I owned a home, and my 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 buddies were all renting. I mean, I was just knocked it out of the park, and I just said to myself, you know, if I stay here another six months, I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to get out of this state, and I just. You know, I just felt I was young enough. It was time to do it. And so I just sold everything and packed up my car with my all my books and my clothes. And I headed south. Went down to San Francisco, actually, for a few months. And I ended up in Orange County. And I was driving Orange County. I just could not believe all the concrete. I mean, I think when I finally hit L.A., it was like two hours of nothing but lights and concrete and buildings. And it was just like, I'm never going to learn the real estate business here in terms of a trying to figure out a neighborhood. And so uh, <laughs> I, went into, I went into lending. I thought that would be an easier uh, road to hoe. And, and it was interesting. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I did, I did well. Uh, I did very well. And I eventually opened my own company three years after I started out in, as a loan officer. How many years were you in the mortgage business? 
That was from about 84 to 93. So about 10 years. Yeah. What made you transition back over to real estate sales? Well, I sold the company I was uh, spending. I had, I had expanded the company and I was in uh, up in the Northwest and, you know, my family was in Southern California. And so, you know, for 27 months, I was gone five days a week. So it started to uh, fracture the family life. And, and so I just, I just went back and I, I took some time off and I was listening to the chairman and CEO of Home Savings of America, which was uh, an Amundsen company, was eventually bought by, forget the name of it now, they're a Seattle company that they're constantly absorbed. But anyway, this guy was talking about short sales and how they thought it was in the best interest of their, their investors and neighborhoods and the, and the borrowers to uh, accept uh, an amount less than, than full payment as payment in full. And I just thought that was ingenious. And so um, I learned all I could about short sales and I got into that niche of the business. And in 94, 93 and on, uh, that was in Southern California, that was a great business to be in. So you took your your knowledge of the mortgage industry and you combined it with your knowledge of the real estate industry to kind of hit a middle ground there with these short sales. Yeah, I, I, I wrote this program uh, and that, that took me about six months, and it was a relational database program that would take in all the, the data with the public filings for a, a foreclosure property, and then it would take this, that information and create this letter that I wrote. It was a four-page letter that was specific to that homeowner, their loan, their tax consequence. I mean, it was, it was very accurate. And so I would just mail these letters out. Uh, and I remember I launched that program in July. And by the end of that year, I had made $265,000 in commissions. And I thought, man, if I can get two years out of this, this would be great. And uh, that went on for seven years. I did my last short sale at that time in 1999. Have you continued to do short sales up through today? Well, I'm doing short sales today. As a matter of fact, I, I, you know, I kind of brought my program and I introduced it in the, in the Portland market in 2008 and in the uh, Seattle market in 2010. And it's, it's been equally successful in, in all three of those markets. It's just an evergreen letter. I mean, I, yeah, we get, we get listings, you know, not every day, but, you know, three a week, I would say three or four a week from, from short sales in, uh, in the Northwest. Wow. That is, that's pretty amazing. Even though the economy has improved and changed and everything's been on the upswing for you know, maybe three, four, five years now, you're still finding short sales. You have a, a niche that you're still working that continues to, to generate sales and business for you, this, this short sale niche. I, if I understand, it's still something like, what, maybe a third, thir- maybe 30% of your business or so? Yeah, I would say it's 30 so, You know, it depends on the month, but it's between 30 and 40% today. And three years ago, it was... You know, it's 95%. Sometimes those, those trends, they last a lot longer than we think of in the general market because you're working that tight niche. That, that's pretty exciting. And you also mentioned that you work almost exclusively with sellers. I believe about, what is it, 85% of your business is coming from sellers. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm a listing agent. I don't pursue buyers. Um, and when I meet them at open houses, I, I just tell them, frankly, I, I don't. I don't work with buyers, and it's nothing personal. I mean, they're, they're, they're eventually going to be sellers, but you know, I just have to choose my battles, and I, I don't have the time to open doors. 
and, and to do those things. And, and we're very good at presenting and representing sellers. I mean, if somebody wants to get their property sold, I hate to be cliche, but if they want to get sold fast and at top dollar with, with no alcohol, I mean, we, we've got the system for success and that's proven over and over again, and we just don't deviate from it. It's a, it's a documented system, and as I said, we just uh, it's an action plan. And once we launch it, I mean, the, the, the results are duplicatable. I just did one just last Saturday. I mean, uh, we're presenting offers tonight, and we have multiple offers in it. I, uh, on that particular property, we drove 47 people through in a two-hour window. My average is about 76 people in two hours, and it almost always results in, in multiple offers. I mean, almost always, like 95% of the time, we're going to have that property in escrow within nine days of, of putting it active in the NLS. This year, my average has been nine days. What's the average in the overall market? Uh, I just reading about that. I think it was like uh, 47 or some, something like that. It's still pretty, that's, I mean, that's still pretty short. But you've really accelerated that, and you've got me curious. Could you tell us what's going on in this action plan? Why are you uh, generating so much foot traffic through the property so quickly? How are you doing that and getting this home sold so quickly? What is your action plan? There's a lot that goes on behind the behind the scenes. I mean, there may be, for instance, there was one property that I actually had listed. I didn't have it in the MLS, but I had it listed for, for, uh, for two months before it was ready to launch. So we'll look at the particular property and see what it needs, what needs to be done, where, where the seller is and, and where they plan on going. And so once I list a property, I might list it never, usually never the seven days prior to the launch date. We usually like to have 10. But once we do that, I mean, the first thing we do when we list a property on a retail transaction is we send out a moving kit. So we're going to send out, you know, 30 to 40 banker boxes, tissue, magic markers, everything they need to start decluttering and, and packing up. Concurrently, uh, Bernadette, who's my listing manager, and she's also an accredited staging professional. That's the ASP program. And I would, I would recommend that if anybody has a team or a team member that's interested in that program, uh, that, that was a very valuable program for Bernadette to go through. Our clients have really appreciated it. But anyway, Bernadette will go through, and she'll go room by room, and she'll tell them exactly what they need to do, what, what needs to be put away. And so we've got the sellers working towards our goal of that launch date and what we're trying to add the goal is the ascertain is to get the number of people through on the, on the launch date. So there's, there's a lot going on. We, we do the professional photography. We, uh, we scan the property for a Matterport 3D representation. We produce six by 11 full color, full bleed postcards. And like at this last property, I know about 10,000 of those And a lot of agents will go for their title company for 50. That to me, that's just not the scale that, that I work at. So there were 10,000 postcards that went out and all of this is, is going to drive people and push people through to that, that launch date. That first time that the property will be seen by anybody. Nobody gets to see that property until one o'clock on Saturday afternoon or whatever that time happens to be. So uh, we do Facebook advertising. We put it in Craigslist. It goes to the Oregon live, which is the Oregonian newspaper online, um, uh, single property website. There's a whole list of things that Bernadette goes through and just one by one, we just knock them off. And of course she sends the evidence of everything we do is emailed to the homeowner. So the day that we are preparing our marketing and as we launch the marketing, they're getting, you know, a dozen emails that are just coming. Okay. This has now been completed. Here's a sample. Please review. Get back to us with any corrections. 
So we're making them involved, keeping them very much aware of what we're doing. And that gives us that, that uh, separation from our competition. And, and that's what we really strive for. You know, we, we, you know I always tell my, my peeps, look, we don't want to win the race by a nose. We want to win it by a length. You know, it, it can't be a tight race. We've got to, we've got to, uh, to maintain that distance. And we will do things. And I spent a lot of money. I mean, that one property last Saturday, I probably spent $3,500 in, in the marketing. That's amazing. It sounds like the way Apple would launch one of its products, they would have a big fanfare, a buildup, and then people would be lining up and then they'd launch it out. They'd, they'd open the doors at a specific time after a huge promotion leading up to it. Is that your concept? Yeah, we kind of pulled a page from the Steve Jobs playbook. <laughs> and, and it works. It, it's a little, you know, you've got to have some some nerves to be able to do that because, you, you know, you, especially if it's the first time for an agent, you're spending a lot of money to get that exposure and you just really want to have it. You want it, you want to get it because the, the result of that is, you know, when I abbreviate that, that launch period to two hours, we create an option like atmosphere. I mean, there are people coming in and they're seeing other buyers there and they're, they're like in the property, they're seeing their like in the property. They can overhear all the questions about the oohs and the ahs because the property is staged perfectly you know there's, there's a difference between having a home uh, designer and then have a home stage you know a designer is going to uh, make your home it's going to reflect your personality in that home and what bernadette wants to do is she wants to go in and strip the home of this personality so obviously the buyer can see themselves in the home and and project their personality and their belongings into the property and and, and it really helps it really helps uh, on that particular property, also had a great little orchard area. It was only a quarter acre, but it had a really well-developed garden area, orchard, and, and two kinds of grapes and berries. And so I threw a drone up, and we took an aerial photo, and then we had them I- identify all of the, the plantings around the property. And then we did a uh, landscape schematic for that and put that in the MLS as well. And that really went to tell the tale, went to tell the story about this, this property. It, it helped. Let's break down some of the details of this concept of the launch. Let's talk about the property with the orchard. For instance, how far out was the prep time before the launch? You said typically seven to 10 days. How long out was the orchard one? Well, that's a good question because, you know, I've been talking with these sellers for about two years. We started getting serious. They they really started to formulate their their long-term plans and where they were going to go to about six months ago. And, and so through that entire time, I was giving them, I call it my million-dollar Rolodex of resources because I've, I've probably spent a million dollars on contractors that you don't want to use, you know, and everything's done two and three <laughs> times. And so I've got these guys that, that uh, you know, they appreciate the business that I send to them. Their, their workmanship is, is incredible, for, and, and for the price that they charge, they're the best value around. And I keep them very close to the vest because I, I don't want to get too busy because they can't, they can't work on my properties, but I, I have a lot of properties that they work on. So I was, I was feeding uh, my clients these resources. So they had the house repainted and they had my window cleaner out there. And they, I mean, they just did everything. A lot of things they did themselves. So to answer your question, I think I actually listed the property uh, about two weeks. It was about two weeks ago that, that I listed it. And then Bernadette went out there and did the staging. They did all that. We went out there, shot the photography. We scanned the property. We threw the drone up. We got all the, the content that we needed for the marketing. Then we put the marketing together, got the postcard design and uh, in the mail. And 
the property was then listed um, in the MLS system the Monday before the Saturday launch. Because we needed to propagate it through. You know, you've got to propagate it through the whole internet system, and some, some of these sites take, take time. They, you know, they, if you put it up today, it doesn't mean they're going to be out there in every site tomorrow. Sometimes it takes two or three days to, to propagate through. What's the best day and time to launch? It all depends on the time of the year because you can have some you can have some things going on, on on any either Saturday or a Sunday. Typically, Saturday has been proven to be our a very good day, and we always go in two hour increments. We found that one to three to be very successful. But we had you know we used to do four launches a weekend. We would go eleven to one and two to four, and that would give us an hour between just to get over there and set up. And but Saturday is one to three, and then you got to really watch the sporting events. To find out if there's any conflict there. So if you got a if you got a Timbers game, I mean the, the Portland fans are rabid. I mean you got a Timbers game on a Saturday afternoon, chances are they're either going to be at the game or they're going to be watching the game. And so that wouldn't be the best time to to have that launch. It sounds like this launch period is very similar to a, an open house where you were there, yeah. you staged the property, and instead of just pulling in anybody off the street, which you might do, you're also pulling in buyers with agents and all these targeted people that you want to be focused and concentrated in there for those two hours, as you said, to create this auction atmosphere. It's similar to an open house, it's just on, on steroids because of what we do. I mean, we just don't throw up an open house sign and, and put an open house notice in the multiple listing service. I mean, that's, that's the minimum. And those are the people. I mean, I went to, I went and saw three open houses just Sunday because they're, they're right on the creek. They're, they're up not far from me. I just want to see what those properties were looking like and what they're going for. And, and I asked the agent, so how's it going today? You know, you guys have been keeping busy. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And uh, they go, well, you're here and that, that couple right out there is here. We got there just before three. So, I mean, most of the time they say, you know, they're hearing crickets. A lot of they have an open house unless they're pushing it. It's going to be pretty quiet. You know, you really got to spend the money. And, and we're, we're gambling that our system is going to work on that day because our whole purpose is to get enough buyers in, is to create that auction-like atmosphere. And it usually, it usually ends up with multiple offers, but we always get one offer. You're starting earlier, starting one to two weeks out. Everything's focused in on that. Do you allow any showings prior to that launch time? Negative. Sounds like you put it in the MLS and start the marketing, and then somehow you're indicating in that marketing and the MLS listing that there will be no showings until Saturday at 1 o'clock. Is, is that how you're doing it? No, we just say showing Saturday only from 1 to 3. Showing Saturday only one to three. Correct. Okay, and they might have received that on Wednesday, and now they've got it on their radar. And if they're interested, they're going to put that on their list, and they're going to want to be there at one o'clock. Correct. Do you ever get kickback from the agents in the market saying, "Oh, come on, let me see it early"? Every time I'm asked for it, you know, they're going out of town, their clients are going out of town, or they're out of state clients that are leaving on Friday. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And I said, well, if, they, if they're interested in the property, there's a very good representation online. They can go to, you know, 3877selicentralane.com and uh, they will have a Matterport 3D view, a dollhouse view, the floor plan. There'll be at least 
two professionally done photos of the property. I mean, they get a very good idea of what they, and if they want to write an offer based on that, they can. Um, it, it does happen. You do get offers sight unseen then, just from the photographs. We have in the past. It depends on how they write that offer, because if they're trying to pull that home off the market, subject to interior inspection for, for longer than 24 or 48 hours, depending on, on what that offer is, you know, it depends on the offer. But, you know, it, it's disingenuous when they do that. But I have had agents that write very compelling offers. I mean, they know what they're doing and they are uh, they're releasing earnest money early. They're, they're doing a lot of things because they, it, it's a hot market and uh, the way that we present the property and, and the agent may have come through. And even though I have the property very well presented and they'll still come through with their iPhones and they're videoing the whole thing. I'm going, you know, that you're, you're not getting anything that <laughs> it's going to be less than what I've already you know, produced. Those Matterport cameras are expensive. You've created the excitement. You've created an environment where they want to get in. They want to get the information. They want to see it. And you're working in conjunction with the seller to make that happen. So this prep time, this prep time before the launch, you said that you're sending over a moving kit that includes these boxes for decluttering. It sounds like you've given the sellers a a walkthrough with the stager and listed the items that they need to pack up. Where are they putting those boxes? Are they putting them in a garage or a basement? Are you moving them off-site? No, you know, we always tell them that the garage is free space. I mean, everybody knows what a garage is. It's not like you're, you know, it's just, it's four walls, there's two garage door openers. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to visualize what, what a garage is. And so we just tell them the garage is free space, just pack it all in the garage and, or they can put it into a pod, you know, but most people, they just store it in the garage. And I haven't had any buyers uh, object to that. They all know, I mean, everybody accepts the garage as being a place of storage. It also sounds like, to me that this is a big part of your listing presentation early in the process. And at that point, you've convinced the sellers to go along the path with you to to follow your program. Let me ask you some of the results. You mentioned that it's selling the property in 38 days faster. Do you have any statistics on whether you're achieving a a higher than average list to sales price ratio or any other stats to show that they're making more money? Well, all I can tell them is that every property I've sold this year, most of them last year, they, they all sold above the listing price. And I don't buy my listings. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the range. This is what we can hope for if we do these things. Um, but I'm never off on my range. And usually they're suspicious of, of the price that, I'm, that I think we need to go at. And we're watching that before we even – I'll have the listing at one price which is irrelevant because we're watching those. We're, we're checking the market every day up until the point we input it in the MLS. And most of the times, from the time I take the listing, it might even just be a week, we'll put it in the MLS for higher than what we listed it for. I'm not going to leave any, you know, our, our goal is for the seller does not leave any money behind when they make that move. You've listed the property at price X and in the, the next week or two, you've noticed that the market's moving up or that they've made really nice improvements on the property and and you'll increase that price with the seller's permission at the time it goes on the market. Correct. There was one, Mike, that we did that uh, she called me. She actually had a little bit of equity in the property. I think that if if we would have sold it as is, she would have avoided the foreclosure and just broke even. And that's all she cared about. She goes, I just don't want a foreclosure. You know, she just didn't want to avoid that. And I said, you know, Trina, I said, 
if we did a few things on this property, I think I think you'd you'd be in the money, you know. And uh, well, she didn't have two nickels to rub together, but I I, I looked at it and thought this wouldn't cost that much, and I felt very comfortable. We just closed this one; it was about three months ago when we closed it. So I, I made the improvements for it, and uh, you know, they, of course, I get repaid at close of escrow, and they get to keep the profits. And so uh, I put about twenty thousand into this property. Uh, it took us about three weeks to do what we needed to do. And uh, I, I listed it originally for three seventy five. I uh, on paper I put it in the MLS at three ninety nine, and I told her I'm going to expect this to get bid up a bit, and we sold it for four twenty. And so she walked out of Esther with a check for twenty two thousand dollars. She was she was very happy. And she was sitting in foreclosure to begin with. Yeah, she was in foreclosure. The sheriff's cell was looming. And, uh, you know, I could, like I said, I could have sold it for, and, and had a break even. I could have probably sold it for you know, just enough to make it a make whole. But it worked out good. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm sure there's some people listening there thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Lawrence went in there and paid for, he fronted the money to do work on this house, $20,000. How does Lawrence make sure he gets that money back and doesn't get burned by the seller? Are you putting a lien against the property? No, I, I haven't. And that's a good question because I have been burned. Uh, I was burned twice. It was like a, these, these two guys, you know, and almost, you know, like you could consider them friends. And uh, they put a tag team on me. I, I improved both their properties. And... It's a long story, but I, I lost about $48,000 on those two properties. Uh, but that hasn't stopped me from still doing it. I do have a clause in the listing agreement that talks about the improvements and acting as their agent. They, they want me to do these things. And, of course, they have to give me uh, – I, I just don't go in there and start doing things. I mean, I tell them what, it's, what we're going to do and what it's going to cost. And they just say, how can you do it for that, that inexpensively? So it's only up twice. It's, it's been, it's actually, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see these transformations. I'm doing one right now, uh, a similar story, and I don't know why they, they come out this way, because a lot of times uh, these are retail transactions that, that need a little bit of work, or maybe it's a divorce, and, and you know, divorces are frequently accompanied with, with a bad financial situation. So I'll go in and repaint and recarpet and, you know, freshen up the landscaping and, you know, put a, put a few thousand dollars into it, and, and really they, they end up, making an extra ten or fifteen thousand dollars each. I mean that's a great feeling and, and uh they and they love me. I mean they are they become raving fans. Are you getting your money back for those improvements at the closing? Are you having the, the closing company, the title company, are you having them cut the check directly to you yeah. from the closing proceeds? Yeah, I get paid right through escrow. The, the, all the receipts go into escrow, they're approved by the seller and escrow cuts the check back to my, my company innovative resources. So, so that's how you're writing that in. You're just not taking the, the secondary step, which is to, to have the seller sign off on a, a deed of trust or some type of lien document against the property. No, no, I don't need to do that. That's me. I'm a pretty good judge of character, and I've really got to go with my gut. So I can let somebody, you know, I can, I can figure it out, you know, after dealing with the, I mean, tens of thousands of negotiations I've done and, and, and experiencing the results, I can read a person pretty good. You also mentioned that this is actually part of your business. You've created, a, I think, a sideline business here to help people with these improvements to get their properties up to, to top dollar. And if I recall from my notes, I think that company is called 
Equilium Max? Is, did I say that right? Equimax. 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 Maximize your equity. Well, that sounds a lot better. And so Equimax, and so that's a side company that you have that does nothing but improvements just for your sellers. Is that true? Yeah, just for home sellers. So we'll go in and uh, I'm like the anti-investor. And I have to tell you, you know, I used to be that investor. I used to be that guy that would go in and, and see that a property has all kinds of deferred maintenance. And, you know, and I know that they want to sell. I mean, the, the people, they, they just, they beat themselves up. I mean, they get tired of living in that, that type of a dwelling and they just want out. And I used to be the guy going, okay, here's, this is what I'll give you. And there was this one, this one guy, this was probably 15 years ago, and his name was Don Duca. And he had this little property, and it, was, uh, uh, it needed a lot of work. I mean, I told him at that time, I said, Don, you know, I can sell your property. See, you're going to get about 265 for it, you know, at tops in this condition. But, you know, if we did a little bit of work, you know, you might get this. Because this guy enrolled me in his dream. His dream was to move to the south of France. And he, and he had this whole life in his mind, and he just – Wow, I just bought into it. And I said, and that was the first time I said, man, I'm crazy. Because I said, Don, an investor is going to buy this property. They're going to put in $25,000, and they're going to sell it for $365,000. So I said, why don't I just do that for you? And you pay me back through escrow. And he just looked at me like I had three heads. He just couldn't even believe that, <laughs> that I was offering to do that. But I have to tell you, man, it all worked out. I sold the property for three sixty-five. dollars Don netted out, I think, an extra $65,000. He lives in the south of France right now. You can find him on Facebook. I mean, it's just, uh, it was just such a rewarding feeling. And I got a fabulous listing, you know, at a, at a full commission. Now what I charge is that I, I charge a 2% uh, construction management fee on the value. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great. I mean, it works. I mean, I, it's just so, so much more rewarding to help people put an extra, you know, 15, 20, $30,000 in their pocket. I mean, other than an investor, you know, it's either them or the investor. You just mentioned something kind of interesting there at the end. So you say put up twenty thousand uh, dollars in your cash for improvements. The seller agrees, and then you get your commission from being the sales agent. But you also are adding a two percent construction management fee based off of the value of the property. I guess I assume after the sales price at the end. That's just some money that you're adding on top, and that, that's compensating you for putting your money out there and taking the time to do it, as opposed to them going getting a loan and paying interest. Well, that, and, and plus, I'm, I'm actually choosing the materials, the paint, I'm organizing the contractors. I, I'm taking care of everything, and, they, and believe me, there, there's a lot of work in that. Some of the, the attention to detail that we have in these properties, it's, I mean, they just look fabulous when we're done. Sure. Well, you might not be charging enough. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to understand your process. You're putting your money up. You're not asking for a lien on the property. And your compensation back is 2%. And you have to manage the project. I don't know. It sounds sounds interesting. It sounds like some risk. Wow. I, I'm just trying to absorb all that. And how many of these properties have you done the fix up on on your own listing? Oh, I, I, I did quite a few. I mean, and some of them are pretty minor. I mean, some of them might just be, uh, we need to, you know, clean the driveway and clean the roof, clean the gutters, power wash the house, and, and that's it. You know, so you might have, a, you know, might have a grand into it. 
but it's amazing. You know, buyers buy what they see. They don't buy what could be. They don't have a vision, and they, they magnify the cost to cure by the hassle factor because nobody likes to do improvements. And matter of fact, most, most homeowners, you know, they don't do improvements, and the only stories they have are their friends or family members that have done the improvements, and they're nothing but horror stories. You know, the buyers will buy what they see, and if you buy something that's turnkey, they are going to pay a premium for it, and I can sell it. Have you ever done one of these deals where you've done the improvements, you've put, made an investment, and you didn't sell it for as much as you needed to, and they couldn't cover the costs of the improvements that you made? No, never happened. And that's probably because you said you were an investor in the past. You've done, I assume, fix and flips. You've got a really good handle on what those costs are and what they'll return in the market. You have a good handle on what the the value should be at the end of the project. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to recommend something. It has to be a minimum of a one-to-one, and we'd only do that if they were in a a very big hurry to get their cash out. If If they said, I'm in a hurry, I've got an opportunity here or I'm being transferred or whatever, then I'll say, okay, listen, we can do this and it's not going to get you any more money, but it's going to, it's going to get you enough to pay for the service, but it's really going to make the home that much more appealing and stand out over the competition in the same price range with the same utility. So, you know, I'll look at things like that, but, but typically it's a minimum two to one return, minimum two to one. And sometimes it's five to one. It's just amazing how, how much, Little things can add value to a property. If the sellers have resources, do you ask them to front the money for these repairs? Well, yeah, I just I just did one. Uh, I just closed one, and uh, it, it's a funny story because uh, this this guy he again he could have broken even. It was an investment property. He was trying to get a loan mod. I said, Dan, I'm telling you right now, you're not getting a loan mod. This is an investment property. You're not going to get it. I had it listed for seven months at three hundred ten thousand dollars. No offers. They finally denied him his loan mod request, and he was in foreclosure, and all they had to do was was post the sheriff's sale. So I said, listen, you can take the risk. If you're not around and pay a few bills, I'll I'll pay him. But I'll tell you right now, if you do these things, and I listen to the things to do, you will double your money. And he said, all right, let's let's do it. And we worked like mad, and he put up, I think I I had about $9,000 into it, but he had about $45,000 into it. And we finished that job in seven weeks. It went from 310 and we sold it for 420. So it was a real good return for a real good return for him. Let's go back for a minute now and talk a little bit more about the launch concept. It's real really interesting. I like how you're you're leading up to it. You talked a little bit about this Magnaport. What is that? Uh, Matterport. Matterport. Yeah, Matterport is a camera, it's a 3D camera. I think they're in the fourth generation now. It's, it's just an amazing piece of technology. It came out uh, the end of 2014. I bought mine about a, uh, about a year ago, spring of 2015. And it's just astonishing what that thing does. It is just, besides the fact that that's a huge wow factor, it just really creates an awesome presentation of a property. You can actually do a floor plan and, and put the measurements in. It'll be accurate within one inch. So it's, to give people an idea of what, what it is that they're looking at or want to look at, yeah, it's, it's a great source. There's, there's a lot of photographers that offer that now. We just happen, you know, when you listen as much as I do, when I do the math, 
you know, if somebody's going to charge me $300 for a Matterport scan and I'm going to, you know, sell 81 properties and 70, 70 of them or 75 of them are, are my listings, it's a no-brainer. How much did the machine cost for you to buy it? Uh, it's 4500 for the camera and then there's some uh, accessories that you need. You need a tripod and you need the case and, you know, probably about another grand in accessories. It really doesn't take much with about 15, 20 sales. You're covered. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's making me money now. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You also mentioned that you sent out 10,000 color postcards when you're doing these launches. Where are those postcards going? Who are you sending those to? I don't send out more than 10,000 because the communities that I, I serve uh, on the retail side of it, that's, that's ample. Uh, but they go to, I use EDDM. And so that's which is every door direct mail to the United States Postal Service. And it goes to all the properties surrounding the subject property. So you're just sending them out generically to all the neighbors around that property. Is your goal to draw in other sellers or buyers for that property? Well, my, my goal is to get more listings. You mentioned that you're a listing agent and you turn buyers away. That's why I'm kind of asking the question that way. Those cards that go out, are they directing people to come in as a buyer to the property or do you also have something on the card that's targeting sellers? One side of the card is, is pitching us as a, a seller's representative, why they need to use us as a broker for their home and, it, and, and list the reasons why. And then the other side is all about that property. And then we have another postcard that goes out once the property is sold. It's very similar to the one that went out for just listed. Now it's just sold. But it has all the stats that we drove through. It has how many detailed views were on the Internet, how many people came to the property, how many offers we received, and um, yeah, those, those four things. You're targeting those listings. Are you giving them the opportunity to get a free market analysis? Do you have a call to action in there? Not on the card, it just has, this, it has the reasons, uh, that, that, that one that you just described, those four elements, that was the result of our marketing, and that, that's pretty powerful for someone if they're thinking about selling. The one that we send out that's just listed, it, it, it talks about the advantages of dealing with the Bell and Realty Group. And then you just have a phone number for them to call, or how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can, they, they can either email me or call me. My phone number and the email is all over the place, and, and that, that's usually what happens. Sometimes they'll come to the open house with the postcard. They say, can you stop by my house and you know, tell me what you think my home's worth? We have a process, Mike, that we don't really just, I just don't go. I mean, I don't really list properties the way you would think that most agents would. They'd go out and they'd sit down and you know, they'd belly up the kitchen table and, and go over you know, their, whatever they're going to do. I mean, that, that's just not what we do. Ours is a, it's, it's a lot different. <laughs> And I enjoy it, and, I, and it just allows me to do business in the three states I do business in on the retail side uh, without actually being at the property. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of retail transactions that I haven't met the seller or seen the property until, until we're into it, until maybe just before the launch. 
What does that mean? Are you doing the presentation over the phone? Are you doing it in your office? Are you doing it online? How are you communicating with the seller and letting them know what you're going to be doing? It usually starts with a phone call, uh, and sometimes it's an email. But once we make that contact, then we just go into uh, a system that we've developed that will say, okay, we can do this two ways. You know, I can come out to the property. I said, initially, you can complete this whole assessment survey that I've developed. Nobody knows your home better than you do. And all the little things you may be taking for granted, this survey will flesh out, which can really add value. I said, you know, click here for the survey. You know, we'll be notified as soon as it's completed. And I'll start a, my a analysis. And so we do it that way. Before I take the time to go out to their house, I have them complete the survey. They've got an investment, a time investment into the property. They start to get, become engaged because of the, all the questions. And, oh, yeah, this is, that's pretty cool. I forgot about that stuff. Really, that's going to help with value. And then I do a very, a very thorough CMA for them. It, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty thorough. And I, make, I have a lot of comments on each of the comparables. And it's just another, it's another letter. Uh, I would say that my email that goes out, the cover letter, is probably uh, you know, two pages or three pages if you had to print it all out. I'm a very good copywriter. I made a lot of money writing copy. Um, I mean, that, my short sell letter, I've been using that for 25 years. It's evergreen. You know, it's just... It's amazing. <laughs> you said that you focus on these sellers to the point that you turn buyers away. Do you have buyer agents on your team? And if not, how come? I do have a buyer's agent. And Gary will get those buyers. You know, if, the, if these people, if I feel that they're receptive or they say they have an agent, I, I don't try to pry them away from their agent. I, I, I don't do that. And I always compliment them. I said, like, you know, I think that's excellent that you, you've got the loyalty to your agent because in this business, it's really, you know, that can really be tough to see sometimes. But the leads that we get online or the leads that we get through our online marketing, uh, through the Facebook ads or, or the single property website, then those are, those are shoved on over to, to Derek. You are converting, you're sending those over to someone to convert and work with these buyer leads that, that are coming in. I, I was under the impression there initially that you, you were turning all the buyer leads away. No, well, I, I don't work with them. I say, listen, I said, I, I, I know personally, I, I can't represent you on this purchase because I, I, I don't see how, you know, you can have two masters and I'm representing the sellers. And then I would, I would say, if you would, you know, if you want representation, then you can talk with Gary or you can, you know, use your other agent. I'm not a big guy in double ending. I, I think that's really, uh, I think that's one of the, it's just, to me, I just, it just flies against the grain of what I stand for. I mean, I, I need to, you know, how can you be Derek Jeter and swing a bat for both teams? You just can't. You got to step up and you got to be able to, to swing that bat and know who you're batting for. And so I, I bat for sellers. You mentioned in your launch, you have Facebook ads. What is in that ad and who are you targeting that to? Facebook is really a, it's a it's a wonderful platform because the way you can drill down and expose a property just to those people that either live in the zip code or the neighborhood or or they they like Milwaukee or they you know Happy Valley and so you can you can do it that way and Bernadette handles that she just uh, you know has her little algorithms that, that has been effective and she she blasts it out to everybody there we keep we keep promoting it until we like today would be the last day for that property on. Uh, La Centra, because we're we're reviewing offers tonight. Is that the Orchard property? Yeah. And how many offers did you receive? We have two so far, and 
today at six. We've got showings again. Showings coming in today. It wouldn't surprise if we get two more offers before we before we present. And what day did you launch? Saturday. Saturday. So we're talking three days, four days now, and you already have two offers. Well, what we do is when we in, in the comments we state that offers will be reviewed. You know, usually on a Tuesday after we launch, because we're we're trying to create tension. And the fear of loss is, is much stronger than the fear of gain. And so if someone feels that they're going to lose a property that they really want, they're, they're going to step up. And, and by, by holding them off, I, I feel that we're creating that, that tension to really want the property and to do what they need to do to get it. So you launch on a Saturday. You tell everybody offers are going to be reviewed on Tuesday. That also gives you the opportunity to not work the Sunday you can take Sunday off and come back in Monday and review on Tuesday. That's a pretty good little strategy there. Do you ever have the problem of, say, a Saturday an offer comes in and they demand a response by Sunday before your Tuesday deadline? Oh, yeah, I get that all the time. They always try to pressure me with expiration dates. And what do you do with that? Nothing. We just we, we will write them a counteroffer on Tuesday, and in the counteroffer we will extend the expiration of their offer. If they want to consider it, that's fine. If they don't, that's that's fine too. Because my clients, I don't let my client, I don't let my sellers be shoved around. You know, we don't we don't need to do that. So you explain to your sellers up front what's happening, make sure that they're prepared for it, and then you let it expire temporarily, and then you pull it back in in your counter by extending the time at that point. Correct. And how many times do people then just disappear by they don't they don't even talk to you anymore because you let their offer expire versus how many times do they continue to play on Tuesday? It's not very often that a, a agent is going to fly in the face of what we clearly stated in the NLS. And it has happened though, to answer your question. And, and I have to tell you, and I tell my sellers, you know, this this person is really being kind of obstinate. Is this really the buyer that we want to get an escrow with and have to go through inspections. And if they're so insistent on this is what was clearly, what do you want to, do you really want to deal with these guys? And so I'm trying to make the transaction smooth and pleasurable. And, you know, from the get go, if you've got somebody that's just trying to throw some weight around for whatever reason, not, not complying with what was stated, you know, my feeling is next. How about multiple offers? How do you, walk a seller through a multiple offer situation, say three offers came in on the same property. How do you handle that? Do you reply back to just one? Do you reply back to all three and ask them to make their highest and best with a, a due date? What's your approach when you receive multiple offers and you're working with the seller? Well, we counter every offer. I know the old school way is you got to pick one and this one's the highest. Let's go. You know, the highest offer is not necessarily the ultimate highest offer. Again, it's the fear of loss. And, and when you counter everybody, and if you counter back highest and best, or other terms and conditions, that's when you're going to really flesh out who really wants the property. Because I have, I have seen people come in with the lowest offer, and they leapfrog over everybody. Because, and I always tell their agents, listen, you write, write whatever you want. Just, just write whatever your buyer feels comfortable with, and we'll counter you. And it might not be in price. It might be on terms and conditions. But, you know, I always tell them, listen, God bless your buyer for wanting, giving the seller a chance to say yes. You don't know. I don't know. I'm not the seller. Just write your offer. 
Mike, I had a guy one time was uh, was an appraiser, a buddy of mine, and uh, he called me and said, "Man, I'm having the, I'm having a tough time bringing an appraisal in. I go, really? It was it, it sold too high. He goes, no, it sold too low. It was a property in Laguna Beach, Ocean View, and it was an out of area agent and an out of area seller, and the property's on the market for the longest time, and somebody threw this low ball offer in for seven hundred twenty four thousand. And they accepted it. And it was worth eight fifty, eight seventy five all day long. So I just tell the, the agent, you know, write whatever you want. I'll, I'll, I'll clean everything up in the counter offer. I want to clarify. You said if you had three offers sitting on your table, you would counter all three. How do you prevent getting in the contract with all three? Because the, the counter offer wouldn't be it wouldn't be valid uh, or considered accepted until it's acknowledged accepted by the seller. It has to be subsequently acknowledged accepted. And I've got a, some language that I, I've developed and have had uh, vetted by some attorneys, and it's, I've been using it for, for a long, long time. It's some type of conditional counter, and the condition being that your seller has to give a final approval, and that's the way you're preventing your seller from going into contract with three counters with three different buyers at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I tried selling the same property to three different buyers. I was just thinking about the commissions on that deal, but it just didn't work out. <laughs> well, yeah, but it would not be pretty legally. Uh, exactly. But that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense that, that you would have some type of stopgap in there to make sure you, because when you said you countered all three, that kind of threw me, but now it makes sense. How long did it take you to develop this strategy of the launch? It, you know, you mentioned you, you're a copywriter. It almost sounds like something you would hear out on the internet marketing world. Is that where you got the idea for the launch? No, it was, uh, you know, I think just Bernadette and I, we just, when we went to, we were doing so much business that when we, when we finally took, you know, our open houses and we abbreviated it down to two hour windows so that, we could do eight open houses on a weekend. So she would do two on Saturday. I would do two on Saturday. We'd each do two on Sunday. And we would go from 11 to 1 and 2 to 4. And we just realized that, it, you know, these, these enormous open houses, when I see an open house, people say, oh, we're going to be there from 12 to 5 or 11 to 4. I'm going, oh, my God. I mean, who would that, – that, to me, that would just be – that would be a nightmare. And so, but we found that when we abbreviated them, people made a point to hit those open houses because they only had so much time to see it. So if you had an open house from 12 to 5, you had one that was 11 to 1, they're going to say, wait a minute, let's go to this one here because it's going to be over at 1. Or let's go to this one over here because, you know, it's going to be over at 4. You see what I'm saying? Sure. And so an an abbreviated open house always got more people through the door at the same time. And I, I kept aware of what I was experiencing. And I, what I was experiencing was that competitiveness between the buyers, that they were, they were looking at each other and seeing, they were, they were looking for buying signals of the other people in the house because they liked it. Have you ever considered or tested constricting that time even more and bringing it down to a one-hour window? No, we've never had anything less than two hours. One hour would be... That would be pretty restrictive. I tested it 
on some of my rentals in the past, I'm going off tangent here, but a one hour window works really good in that market, but I've never tried it on the sell side. And I, I was curious if you had. No, I've never done it. I know that Proctor's got some Sunday tour homes where you're, you're, it's probably, that'd be the equivalent of a 15 minute open house. Sure. You're, you're busting <laughs> people from property to property, but no, I haven't experimented with that. The other thing is I, I want to be there long enough to have the homeowners in the area that have gotten the postcards and have been aware of the property to be to have the time to come over and, and see how we market at the home. Uh, I want them to see what we've done at the home because it it's uh, notable. Do you get most of the traffic to come in at the beginning of your two-hour period? Like when you have a one to three, do most of them come in that one, you know, right around one o'clock? Uh, the turnout in the beginning is usually pretty good, but I'd say it, it's, it's pretty steady. I mean, if you think about 76 people coming through the property in two hours. It's, it's a pretty steady stream. <laughs> That's a lot. Say, yeah, I'd say the first, the first 20 minutes or maybe even five minutes before, they're knocking on the door to see if they can come in yet, and then we'll say not yet. You know, we're not quite ready putting up the special feature cards or whatever we're doing. I, I just don't want, I don't want anybody coming in sooner. I want them all there at the same time. All standing on the doorstep. Or yeah, or they're in their car. They're just out in the street or standing in the street. And so I say, okay, come on in. It just creates a great atmosphere. It does. It really, it's really a fun atmosphere. Do you ask those buyers walking through the register? How are you getting your count? The count of the people? Yeah. Are you just counting them as they're coming through? Or are you having them sign some type of registration book? I've got a counter in my hand. And then you can give a report to the seller? Yep. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll set up my, uh, I'll set up a GoPro in my, the back of my car. One property that I did, it was up in, uh, in Bellevue, Washington. And I videoed all the people that were coming through. And I did a time lapse. So it was uh, a two-hour launch in a little under two minutes, I think, two and a half minutes. And uh, we had 92 people through that property. I had nine offers on it and sold it for $75,000 above the list price. And do you use that video in your listing presentation when you're talking to sellers? I haven't, but I suppose I could. I want to go through and see if I can get that. Uh, you know, two minutes is, is a long time, but there's a lot of other information on that video. It's pretty good, but I, I just haven't massaged to the point yet that I'll, I'll start including that in my, in my uh, marketing pitch, but I will. Uh, I, I've, done it, I've done it more than once, and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. Have you tested other days for the launch other than a Saturday or Sunday, and what were the results? No, we used to uh, we used to have the broker open going on and, and have it and catered. And, you know, I think as the Internet has evolved over the years and the presentation of a property is so accurate and it's uh, – there's really – the broker opens have just been a waste of time, and I haven't had opens – uh, to the general public during the week. I just haven't taken the time to try to explore that. And I, our, our system is working so good right now that if there were any gains, I can't imagine that there would be, it would be so negligible that it wouldn't be worth implementing it into our system. When do you take your time off then? If, if you're working Saturdays and Sundays, are you taking a day off during the week then for you personally? I take time off every day and it seems like I, I work every day. It's just I really love the business. I love the industry. If I ever felt that I knew everything, I would get out of it. You know, I would, I don't know, I'd go to law school or something. Who knows? 
but uh, I, I I enjoy the industry, and so to me, it's not like I'm working. Uh, it, it's just something that I really enjoy, and there's enough variety in the things that we've brought into the into the fold in terms of property improvements and the staging and, and the marketing and, and producing all these things. It, it just keeps us engaged. So, no, I don't I don't I don't really think about the time I I take off or the time I don't take off. I I do whatever I want. <laughs> Well, Lawrence, I am under the impression that a, a big chunk of your business, something around 40%, is coming from past clients and sphere of influence, repeated referral. Let's go ahead and jump into that for a minute. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? I think it's around 1,700. Can you break that out one step further for us? Say how many of those are past clients? Past clients, we're still tra- keeping track of, but probably 600. Where do you keep those stored? Do you have a database? And if so, what software program are you using? We have kind of a Frankenstein uh, <laughs> system. You know, we use Top Producer. I, I, I love Follow-Up Boss. We use Follow-Up Boss. Uh, we use MailChimp. And that's just for, for management. Of course, we use MailChimp for our updates, market updates, and for blast on our new listings and you know, things of interest. But yeah, we put all those things together, and that's that's what we use. There is a company that I I haven't had a lot of chance to spend much time with a program. It's called Realvolve, and that that to me that that seems like that has some uh, a lot of potential. We may transition over to that program once we have the the time to really to vet it. Let's talk about what you're doing to stay in front of your past clients and sphere of influence to get these repeating referrals. Could you? Outline for us your basic annual marketing plan to your past clients' sphere of influence. We do market updates at least once a month, and that's that's emailed. All of our past clients get a Sunset Magazine subscription that that's wrapped with our with our branding. That goes out to them each month. We have a paper newsletter that is sent out each month. Besides the uh, the blasts and things of, of, that are newsworthy, uh, or if we get a really a really good hot listing for investors, then we'll segment that out and send that out just to investors or things like that. But yeah, that that those are our touches throughout the year. You have three monthly. That's thirty six contacts a year, and you said the uh, monthly marketing update is is that basically a, a electronic CMA? No, we don't do that for the property, but that reminds me that we do have market snapshot that everybody gets as well, and that's specific to their particular area. That's your, that's your top producer. Yeah, the, the market update, yeah, that comes out. We, we subscribe to a number of resources for, for data on what's going on in the marketplace. Alto's reports are, are really good, and, and so what we do is we, we put these market updates together with this information that we glean, and we send that out to... Uh, in, in, a, in a, a digital newsletter to, to all of our clients, and then it's segmented within the newsletter within that email by city, and so they they have the city they're interested, they just have to click on it. It's, some, it's pretty telling information. And if they ever want us to uh, include a city, or they, you know, if they move to another city that we were uh, uh, tracking, then we'll go ahead and add that to the newsletter. Most of what you're doing is either an email out in this monthly market update or it's a physical snail mail, the, the magazine subscription sunset and the paper newsletter. Are you designing that newsletter each month or are you using a service? 
Well, right now I'm using a service and we're going to be pulling off of that and kind of changing our direction in that respect. And it's going to go more, I'm going to be taking the time to write it and, and it's going to be more, it's going to be more a reflection of me and my philosophy and uh, about the business and, and in general. So we're going to be firing that up in the next 60 days uh, and, and, and get it away. We use service for life right now. I think you've, you've heard of him. Sure. Yeah. That's the newsletter we use. It, it's, it's fairly inexpensive for how many we send out. But, yeah, we do we do Facebook advertising. We use Prime Seller Leads. I have used Prime Seller Leads. Josh Grund over there, him and his brother started that company. They're pretty good. They're very similar to Bold Leads and the valuation pages that, that, that are becoming pretty ubiquitous now. But they do a pretty good job. Uh, Cole Realty Resource, we use those for telephone numbers and they now they, they generate email addresses and then we have Mojo Sales to do circle calling around our new listings. We'll you know we we'll just have we'll have everybody call around the listing just to put them on notice as well, another touch. Yeah, I think that's it. With your past clients and sphere of influence, are you doing anything other than the the three contacts month, i.e. the the email and the mails for instance, are you making any phone calls out to your past clients? You know, I, I don't that often, but sometimes I do. And, and sometimes I'll just be thinking about my clients and I'll buy something for them and send it to them. Like I, I've got a bunch of clients that are, you know, they, they like to hunt. They're, they're, you know, they like to hunt and fish. I know they're outdoorsmen and I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoorsman. And I was at the gun show a few months ago and I this guy was selling these really cool calendars that had all the the dates for licensing and, and the tags and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I bought a couple dozen of them and I just, you know, addressed them and sent them out to those clients that I, that I knew were interested in that type of thing. And, you know, it was a great response. I mean, they, they really appreciate it because it was unexpected, you know, Sur- surprise and delight is the key. That, that's what you want to do is surprise and delight your, your clients. So we don't have anything that's okay. And this day we're going to send this out. It's, and it's not, Blanket. We we try to we try to be specific to the interests of that individual. Do you have any past client parties or events? No, I've heard a lot of people that on your show that have done that with great success, but it's not something that that we've done, and I'm not even sure that I would feel comfortable uh, doing something. Uh, I mean, I, I want to appreciate my clients, but I'm not sure that having a big dinner and things like that. It seems to me it would be too self-serving. So I, I prefer to just do it on a one-to-one basis and as I think about it, it uh, to be more authentic and not so contrived. In your marketing to your past clients' sphere of influence, do you specifically ask for referrals or are they just happening because you're staying in touch? I don't specifically ask for referrals. They just tend to come. They just say, you know, they just talk us up because – if they've ever sold a home before with someone else, the, the differences are striking. And they, they just tend to talk us up, so it, it works out great. But, and we, we, we try to stay top of conscious by, by sending out the things that we do, both physically and digitally. Let's talk about your team for a minute and the structure of your team so people can get kind of a big picture. Could you describe your team to us? You've got me. And I'm kind of the visionary type thing, you know, initial guidance and, and that, you know, the direction of, of where we're going. Uh, Bernadette is uh, 
the listing manager, and she's in charge of marketing and, and systems. She's developed all of our, our systems and, and together our action plans, which I got to tell you, I, mean, I don't know how we do the volume we do with the, as few people as we have, but it works works very well. I have some listing coordinators that I use up in Washington because those properties up there, I mean, I, you know, I, I rarely meet the seller or see the property. It would be highly unusual for me to to meet them on, on a short sell, especially. I, I don't think I've met any of those people. Um, and so I have listing coordinators that I pay per listing on what they do. I pay them $150 to set up the listing and I, or excuse me, I pay them uh, $200 to set up the listing and $150 to uh, just essentially go pick up the lockbox uh, when the deal's done. I think that's what I pay them. It's something like that. Then I've got client care manager slash negotiator, and then another negotiator transaction coordinator. And then Katie is our resale transaction coordinator. And of all those people, there's only three of them that are full-time. Oh, I also have a marketing manager, uh, Erica, and that's my daughter. And she handles uh, everything to do with our marketing and production, special feature tags, the, and then postcards, everything. And did you mention you have a buyer agent? And Derek, yeah, I got a buyer. Yeah, Derek, shouldn't forget Derek. He's a great guy. Is that relatively new that you've added a buyer agent? No, I've had buyer agents for for some time. I've I've had some for two and three years. Uh, Derek's Derek's probably been with us for a year and a half, but he's pretty independent. You know, I, I'm not one of these guys where I'm calling him up every Monday to give me your numbers. You know, how many? Calls? Yeah, I just that's just not me. I'm not a a micromanager. So they get in the leads and. I just know Katie says, hey, cut Derek a check for for this closing and that closing, and you know it's all it's all good. You're selling property in another state, Washington. You said you you don't typically meet those folks. You have me listing coordinators to help you get that set up and and close it down. Are you still doing the negotiations, save then by phone, or or how are you part of that transaction? Well, we do the negotiations with the lenders, but once we come on board, the, the sellers, they don't have to do anything. I mean, and anything we need from them, 95% of it is done all through DocuSign. So they can be anywhere in the world as long as they have access to their email, and they can give us what we need from them. So, yeah, once they send that authorization, we handle all the negotiations with the lender. Are you profitable? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're profitable. When you say you're profitable, can you help us out with, say, uh, a profit margin? And well, net profit this would be this would be before tax, but I would say you know we're we're pretty profitable. We're we're probably in the fifty-five uh, percent percentile. Do you attribute that to the fact that you're uh, working heavily in production and you're one of the few salespeople? It's it's really you. You're doing eighty-five percent, and you have one buyer agent who's picking up the other 15%, you have a very high profit margin. Do you think that's because you're in the sales on a day-to-day basis, the sales side? You're in production? On the listing side, yeah. I mean, but again, we, we've got these systems down pretty tight. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I, and again, maybe I am working more than I, maybe people would interpret what I'm doing is as work, but I don't really feel like I work that much, honestly. Because um, <laughs> you're loving it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. Well, let's break that down just to, to help people get a big picture. 
in a week, how many hours do you think you're working? Or in a typical day, what does it look like? Well, it depends on what you de- determine as work. If I'm doing a CMA, if I'm responding to a uh, evaluation request, something like that, then you know I might have about three hours. Uh, I might have three hours in it. And the rest of the time, I mean, are you playing golf, or is it that you just you just love doing this, and so you're you kind of in your mind you're mixing work and play together. It's all kind of kind of jumbles together. Well, it's like I, I do study a lot. I read a lot. I, I I read extensively, and I bring a lot of these things into our our game. I'm just what I've learned in other places. I mean, I I'm going through a uh, a course right now on email, ten X email. You know. It's, it's it's going to be pretty rigorous, but you know, and those aren't cheap. I mean, that that program right there is eighteen hundred dollars. But we do a lot of business, and I I get a lot of business, and I get a lot of inquiries through the email. So if I can become more adept in converting those inquiries into appointments or into just into listings through the other collateral that we send out to them, then that's that's worth my time. But I listen to your podcast. I mean, that takes up a lot of time. You put a lot of stuff there. Really natural, you know. You get some people that can really talk. Lawrence, let me ask you this. What drives you? Our motto is to be of service, and so I really like helping people. I think that's why I've, I've been so successful in the short sell uh, niche of the industry is, you know, they, they get it. They read that letter that I send out, and they tell me. I mean, I hear, I, I hear it every week. You know, I got all these letters, and people are leaving post-its on my front door, all that stuff. I read your letter. You know, it just reached out to me. I mean, what can, what can you do to help me? And so... I, I, I like to help people. I mean, I, so I, I, that's why I like making the improvements and knowing which improvements to make and showing them. You know, you don't want to do that. that that's something that you're going to do personally, but that's not what buyers are going to like. And, and I know what buyers like because I've literally been in front of tens of thousands of them. And they tend to duplicate, and they, there's very commonalities between the things they like and the things they don't like and the things that they see value in and the things they don't. And I'll tell you, Buyers, like I said, buyers buy what they see. They don't buy what could be. They have no vision. Zero. I like to create what, what it is that they, they can see themselves just raising their kids in and, and throwing those steaks in the barbecue. And, man, this is our home. So that, that's a lot of fun. Well, Lawrence, why have you been so successful? You know, I, I've got a no-quit attitude. I do what needs to be done. I'm relentless. I don't succumb to the... To the lemming effect, uh, you know. So this is what how it's always been done. This way, you got to do it. And I just completely disagree with that philosophy. You know, everybody knows the right thing to do. And if you take the next indicated right step, and you're being authentic, you can't go wrong in this business. I mean, you you can make a great living. You know, the, the barrier to entry to this industry is the licensing. I mean, it should be a lot tougher or they should increase the fees to $5,000 a year or do something because the barrier entry is so low that people just come in and say, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I've got my real estate license now. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I've made it. <laughs> That's the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, I could train a NASA monkey to get their real estate. <laughs> it's just, uh, but I'm making a good living that I respect all the people you've had on your show. I mean, it's very admirable. I mean, some of them have business plans that are not congruent with how I look. I mean, I, I don't want to have 35 buyer brokers and, and just have all that responsibility for their families to make sure you generate enough leads. And yeah, that's just not me. You know, I like, I like doing it the way we're doing it and it seems to work. So 
Well, Lawrence, I need to ask you the question. You've brought it up a few times. Short sales has been a very successful for you. You just mentioned your short sell letter and how it touches the seller in a, in a special way. Why is that? What are you talking about in that short sell letter? It's like I was just talking about buyers. I mean, if you see enough buyers and you're paying attention, I mean, anybody can do this. If you go on, if you hold enough open houses, even if you just got in the business, if you just go to these open houses and pay attention, you know, you're going to start to discover the clues that are redundant that, that you're going to see over and over and over again. And there will be questions. And if you can learn to answer those questions genuinely, then you I mean that's that's the golden that's your ticket, you know. That's uh, that's your golden ticket. And what I've done with short sales is I've I've been with front of those families. I mean, thousands of them. And I know the questions they ask. I know the concerns they have and the fear that they're living in. And I just bring all that out in the, in the letter that I understand that, you know, you've got to understand that, that you know, you, your house right now is like, uh, it, it's like you're tied to an anchor that's dragging you into the abyss and you need to cut it loose. You know, uh, uh, home is where the heart is. It's just a house. You know, it's time, it's time to move forward. And I just go into all of their options and all the things they have and they, it resonates with them. And I think anything that any good copywriting for whatever it is you're trying to do, that would be a, a successful piece. If, if you can really determine and keep a, an eye out for what the questions are that that particular group that you're trying to sell to is asking for. And if you can do that, I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to do very well. You know, you're going to do very well. But, it, you know, it requires paying attention. you got to pay attention. It sounds like you also frame it as a, a friend giving them advice feeling a, a real heartfelt concern for their situation and what their options can be. But you're talking as though they were sitting across from you and it was your best buddy. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how that letter goes. You know, whether you decide to do business with me or the guy down the street, this is the best advice I can give you. And this is it, you know. And just call this number. The, big, the hardest thing you have to do is to pick up that phone and call this number. And you spend seven or eight minutes with me and you're going to realize it was one of the best calls you ever made. And they do. Lawrence, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Don't even think about getting in this business and, and trying to make a success out of it. Unless you seriously have minimum of six months cash reserves in the bank to make, to make pay every bill you have. And I've told that, I can't tell you how many people I've told that to, Mike, and they all say they do, and then 30 days later they go, shit, I, I gotta get a job. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go part-time at Home Depot. You know, they just, they just think they're gonna knock it out of the park in the first, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Prudential, Coldwell Banker, all the, the big blue companies, they're all based on that new agent relationship business. The, the first five deals they're gonna do are relationships, and, and those people have a lock on those relationships. I can't pry a deal away from them. I don't care how, how much experience I have or how new they are. They're going with their son. They're going to go with their son-in-law or their daughter-in-law. But once you, once you, you go through those relationship deals, it becomes a business. And if you're not prepared to, to make it work, I mean, I guess the answer to your question is, if you don't have the money, then you need to go to work for somebody that's already successful. And go in there and you, you have to work for them for 15 bucks an hour just for the learning atmosphere and, and be upfront with them and say, I'm, I'm here to learn. 
I know you're going to pay me dirt wages, but I'm here to learn. And so you better be the guy that's going to teach me something. So put the onus on them. You know, it's a two-way street. But I would say they're just getting in, go to work for, for somebody that's doing the business that they want to do. I have to ask the question, then, Lawrence, when you first got in, did you have six months of cash reserves? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. You know, I was, but I I was working part time at Mario's, and uh, I remember when I, I remember the very first deal that I put together. I was at Mario's is a men's clothing store. I was like a, a haberdasher down there, downtown Portland. I love that place, and I got clothes at a discount. And it was so funny is this woman was so loyal to me, and she had a trailer home on five acres out in Oregon City. And she tracked me down. I was at Mario's, and she tracked me down. I said, Lawrence, I've got a buyer here, and they want to write up an offer. And I'm going, holy mackerel, this is awesome. And so I, it took me like an hour and a half to get out there. We were up until 2 o'clock in the morning, the buyer, the seller, and me. And of course, then you had to write out everything hand by hand. That deal closed. That was my first commission. I made 356 bucks. <laughs> it was awesome. Right. That's fantastic. Well, Lawrence, do you think that top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. I think you're doing a great job, Mike, and I, I'm glad you took over for uh, uh, Britain. It was a star power. I mean, uh, that, was, that was too bad when, when he went away, but I'm glad you, you, know, you, you, uh, you stepped up. I think they're very valuable. I just like hearing what other people are doing, you know, some unique experiences in other parts of the country, and maybe I could apply them here, and I don't know if anybody's going to feel that same way about what's going on here in Oregon, but it's very beneficial. Well, Lawrence, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Keep your eyes open and pay attention. Soak up everything. You know, if you spend an hour a night reading something related to our industry, at the end of it, at the end of the year, you can't help but be a pro. I mean, that's going to be like four solid months of studying our industry. You know, one of the things I did is I memorized the purchase money agreement. Take your time to understand that agreement. Because nothing makes you look more foolish than someone that's trusted you, especially as a buyer's agent, to ask you, what does this mean? And you've got to pick it up and turn around and read it like it's the first time you've ever seen it. So that's, that's what I'd say. Study the agreements, the contracts that you make your living with, and pay attention. Well, Lawrence, great advice. Agents should know the contract backwards and forwards and should always pay attention. You have succeeded by blazing your own trail. You notice opportunities, calculate the risk, put together a plan, then proceed, monitor, and adjust. You started with minor partitions. You jumped back in the real estate with short sales. You adopted and perfected the listing launch. You invested in your seller's property repairs and improvements to help them maximize their returns and yours. You are a creative, solution-oriented agent. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who jumped into real estate with both feet and no life jacket. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all. 
and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.